My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for joining in for another episode of the Do or Do Not podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Luke Maxfield, a DO dermatologist and current Mohs Micrographic Surgery and Cutaneous Oncology Fellow who graduated from the Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. Today, Dr. Maxfield speaks on his non-traditional path into his field and his journey to osteopathic medicine. We hope you enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Luke Maxfield, DO, dermatologist. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's awesome. Awesome. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy, but you know we really appreciate having people like you on the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks for reaching out. And, um, you know, I, actually one of my favorite things, and I think I've said this on a couple of my platforms, is uh, I'm most passionate about investing in people. Um, especially people who are kind of either making changes in their lives or planning for the future, uh, even more than I think medicine, dermatology, <laughs> skincare, anything else. I'm most passionate about people. So this is like a great outlet, I think, just to reach out. I love that. I love that. So let's start talking a little bit about your day. You know, what does a normal day look like for you? If you went to clinic today, what was your day like? Yeah. So I'm in fellowship now. So after after undergrad comes medical school, after medical school comes residency. And if you want to, you can do a fellowship thereafter. So I'm a dermatologist. I should be board certified when I get my test scores this week. And then I'm doing a surgical fellowship for something called Mohs surgery. Basically I do high risk, high risk surgical excisions and for like, and cosmetic reconstructions, mostly on the face. So I do that Tuesdays and Fridays. Today I see gender and patients, just general dermatology patients for half a day. And then some academics and other oculoplastic surgery for the other half of the day. So basically my life right now looks like I get up at four, uh, something I started in medical school and residency. I exercise and also like fiddle around, chill for a little bit. And then I go into the clinic, see some patients and today no surgeries. Um, but this week we've had some really good and challenging cases. Obviously anything that's interesting or good for a doctor is not good or interesting for the patient, but as long as everything is under control and we get a good outcome, that's a win. Very true. Very true. And, uh, I did see in your social media and everything, uh, you do like surfing, correct? Oh yeah. How often do you surf? <laughs> that comes Saturday. That's, uh, been my Saturday morning ritual at sunrise for about three years now. And we have another hurricane off the coast this weekend. So should be a good weekend. If I die, then this is my public farewell. (laughs) There you go. Only surfers would say that. (laughs) All right. So, um, you know, just kind of bringing in the surfing and everything for the audience or pre-med listeners, how important is kind of having like that work-life balance to you and throughout med school? I think So this is actually a novel idea uh, for this up and coming generation for all of you who are pursuing medicine that as a doctor, you can have a work-life balance and it's a struggle to maintain that. It's a struggle to have it. But I, I, for me, it's exceptionally important. When I entered medical school, I had a couple non-negotiables, things that I wouldn't give up no matter what. And one of them actually was exercise. And so I was very deliberate at maintaining that. And I progressively kept waking up earlier and earlier every single year to maintain that. 
Um, but I, I went, I don't know, it's just very important to me. So I, I basically exercise and then one hobby was my thing and surfing at the moment is my one hobby. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kind of just going, you know, let's rewind a little bit. I, I do want to talk about kind of like your upbringing. Did you have anybody that was in medicine growing up or did you have, you know, any osteopathic physicians or mentors while growing up? No, I didn't. My upbringing was a good upbringing. I had very great and invested parents, but we were not well off. My parents didn't have like a skill set, I guess, or a trade. And so we found ourselves like regular discussions at our house. We, we would, you know, like maybe we'll lose the house this month. It never happened, but it was something we talked about regularly. And that was ended up being a motivating factor for me. Um, so this was a brand new trail. Uh, I actually personally didn't see a doctor until I was I mean, I, I saw them occasionally, but I really didn't see a doctor until I was about 20 because my parents or my mom especially did not believe in medicine. Oh, wow. Uh, but then I had viral meningitis and eventually, thankfully, after seeing multiple chiropractors who kept cracking my neck for having a stiff neck, I finally made it to an ER and they promptly got the diagnosis and that was a pretty eye opening for me. Oh, wow. So you went to the ER and you didn't want to do emergency medicine? <laughs> I do anything. I love <laughs> actually, um, I have a weird journey through medicine in that I loved everything so much that I had a hard time picking a specialty. Um, and I actually was en route to do dermatology, took a step back for some multiple reasons, was going to do intern left actually dermatology after all my interviews, um, with, went back, did another year of internal medicine after my intern year, planning to go pull crit. Um, just didn't feel like it was the right fit for my whole life. And so I was very fortunate to be able to come back and then do and finish dermatology after that. Oh, wow. That's wow. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before you're, you're like going way ahead of my questions. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. I, I'm sure everybody's going to love this because that, that, that's awesome. That's wow. But um, I definitely want to talk about your, you know, undergraduate school and, you know, where you went, where you grew up and, uh, you know, during undergrad, were you kind of invested into medicine or was it there? Uh, you know, what was your timeline like going into med school? So my timeline is very unusual with that as well. Uh, obviously, I have a very unusual path altogether. If you go to my Instagram, uh, you'll see that I have a little timeline on there. Uh, I spent five years in junior college after high school. Well, first of all, I, I graduated high school with a 1.8 GPA. I was fortunate not to have failed out. I was just one of those people who was barely in class just, you know, it just didn't interest me. I wasn't motivated. And in hindsight, I was extremely lazy. And so entered junior college, um, spent five years there, just fiddling around doing everything I ever wanted to do. Uh, towards the tail end of that, I, I did some growing up soul searching and then transferred to university and finished out two years there. So seven years total in undergraduate wow. and you know, with that all being said, no, medicine was never on my radar. I was the last person in the world anyone would have ever thought to be successful, let alone be a doctor or go into medicine. And it was just a mixture of, you know, by chance, I had a girlfriend at a time who was a nurse and got into it. She introduced me into an EMT class and that was pretty interesting. And then I got a research job at the University of Colorado um, in prostate cancer as just like a lab technician, uh, student researcher. And just me doing well in school, learning how to work hard, opportunities through my work experiences, everything kind of opened up for me over the last probably three years in undergraduate and junior college and kind of shaped the doors and that I ended up opening here and got me to where I am today. 
Wow. That, that's amazing. I, I'm definitely glad like looking through your uh, social media and everything, like everything that you, you know, speak about and everything, just the content is awesome. So I'm glad that everything turned out well for you. And uh, just looking at your CV, we will get to talking about your research because it's a long list. But <laughs> you did talk about doing medical research and everything. And looking at your CV, it seems like you really love doing research. For the audience, was research something that you did during med school? So that's actually a good, that's an interesting point only because, you know, for DOs in particular, we do not have access to big academic centers, uh, to be quite candid. And so I was very proactive in trying to obtain research opportunities. So like, if you look at my papers, it's mostly case reports, small review articles, basically any opportunity I could find, I took. And um, eventually I had larger publications towards the end of my residency. But I genuinely enjoy research. I was proactive in obtaining opportunities to do it. I'm actually not that interested in it anymore because I've found, and the world's changed. So I've found that actually through social media, I can have a much larger impact than by publishing academic papers, which is really sad. But again, just by virtue of opportunities, friendships, uh, specifically Dr. Shaw, I found a voice in social media. And so that that kind of satisfied that outlet for me and feeling a need to make an impact uh, into a community. Definitely. And you do have a strong voice as we see through your followers, but it it is true. We do live in a different day and age and this generation is kind of not going into research as much, which is definitely a sad to use the right word there. Yeah. But you know, just going, you, you did mention that osteopathic schools, we don't, we're usually not attached to these big, you know, educational centers and uh, universities, So what kind of led you to go into an osteopathic school? Did you just apply osteopathic? Did you apply to multiple, you know, allopathic foreign medical schools as well as osteopathic? So I trying to think, I think I, I, like everybody else applied to Harvard and Yale and like everybody, like, it's just a long shot that I think everyone (laughs) clicks. Yes, let's apply there. Yeah. But realistically I did only apply to DO schools and I'm a very, and I said this before we kind of talked, I'm a very candid and open person and not to disparage the profession, but that's the opportunities I had available to me because I had sandbagged myself with an extremely low GPA. And despite nearly acing all of my courses in undergraduate at the four-year university, I couldn't overcome a lower GPA of like 70, 90 crazy, crazy amount of like credit hours that were straight C's from junior college. And historically, DO candidates coming into medical school have been, have had lower either MCAT scores or GPAs or a strong personal preference to go there. But they're usually, it usually has been like a lower threshold for applicants, at least historically. Yeah, that that is true. And uh, that brings up uh, another question I have for you is why do you think that is? Do you think that DO schools look for lower GPAs or MCAT scores or is there a reason why you think, in your opinion, that DO schools have these lower averages? Well, I mean, I think it's in part like the M- an MD, a medical doctor, was historically and has been historically the doctor. Like there was no question about if you referred to yourself as a doctor, what degree you had. If you had a certain skill set, what degree you had. And so, you know, having having that in mind, you know, I, I think everyone, when they wanted to become a doctor, first and foremost, would become a medical doctor. And so that would be the route that I think most people would actively pursue. 
Now for me, you know, I said, it's already my mom didn't believe in doctors. I saw naturopaths and chiropractics growing up, chiropractors growing up throughout my entire childhood and early adulthood. And so for me, it, not only did it was DO route, the opportunity I had, but the, the addition of the chiropractics, the chiropractic manipulative skill set that was like a really nice addition to me. It helped marry the two worlds, like the one that I'd grown up with and then this science evidence-based Western medicine that I had wanted to engage in in an approach. But back to your question as to why would DO schools have people with lower applicant scores or objective markers? I think it's just by default that the mo- most competitive people had historically gone to MD programs. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But I also think, you know, there's a lot of people that are in DO school. I can't speak for MD candidates because I don't really have uh, many MD you know, friends right now or peers. But I, I, I feel that most DOs have stories. They have different paths, uh, just like you do, uh, just like I did. And just like most, you know, the 57 DOs that we've interviewed on this podcast so far have. And I I think that's what's so special about DOs and their their choosing, their applicants. Yeah, I completely agree with, 100% agree with that. And I think that's something that does make the profession unique and also why I think we see so many DOs thriving on on big stages. I mean, Dr. Mike's DO, Dr. Shaw is a DO. I mean, the form... I don't know if he's still a physician to the president or if he got removed, but he, you know, <laughs> Dio. But there are a lot of us with big stories, big personalities. A lot of us actually operate with a chip on our shoulder, not necessarily against the world, but like against ourselves or just carry all of the life experiences we've had with us into our profession. And so I think it makes us a very engaging and motivated group, um, and albeit uh, non traditional sometimes. Definitely. Yeah, I just, you know, speaking on what you just said about Dr. Mike and most uh, people on big platforms, I I just read that the um, NASA medical director is actually a DO. And that's... Oh, really? I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, then just reading things about the Olympics and most of the medical physicians on staff that were DOs, I was just, you know, I was just kind of like, wow, okay, that's awesome. Hmm. But yeah, we like I digress. Uh, Let's... (laughs) So back to the questions uh, that I have for you, you know, just quickly, what... I understand that, you know, medical school was hard for everyone and everything. But, you know, I think I read on one of your your reels on Instagram that your exam didn't go the way you wanted to your first year. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. And so that is very true. Right. You all heard. I mean, I just shared like I kind of struggled through school. Getting to medical school was a reach for me. I was fortunate to do well in my MCAT to get myself into any school. And then, yeah, when I got into medical school, I got an F on my first exam, an anatomy exam, uh, which is a challenging course, by the Definitely. way. <laughs> Definitely is. But, you know, I mean, at that moment, I'm like, you know, shoot, uh, this was probably a fluke that I'm here at all. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, my whole pathway wasn't there. I'd never really tasted success consistently. And so along with that came a lot of, you know, self-reflection, but again, a lot of just like prayer and opening myself up and being like, okay, well, what can we do now? Uh, and all throughout medical school, I was amazed at how there seemed to be no ceiling though, after that point, because, you know, my grades after that test were fine. Then they continued to improve over the first two years, which we all know, or what, which are academic years in medical school. And then the board exam sorts started coming in and like, they just, they blew up. They were so, so high and so unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. It was incredible. Just a, It was just amazing to me to see how my life had changed and now in a quantifiable way, like on paper, you know, 
F student, D student, to C student, to B student, to A student, to on national exams, performing at a very high level. It was just a pretty cool. Ex- it was just a really amazing experience. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I still have PTSD from the board exams. So <laughs> they're, they're quite fresh still for me. So uh, they're, it's still there. But speaking yeah. of the board exams, did you take USMLE and well, you have to take the COMLEX. Mm-hmm. The COMLEX for the listeners is the national board exam for us DOs and uh, USMLE is that for the MDs. Did you take just the COMLEX or did you take both? I took both. And actually, we can even take a step back for any perspective. What pre-med students in college was you're picking a school, you know, historically being a DO limited your opportunities. And that's really not the case any longer. And you'll find that you'll have DOs in every single specialty. And it won't limit your opportunities to pick a specialty, assuming all the other metrics are there if you do go to a DO school. Now, that rolls into the next part of this because I did take the Comlex, the DO test, and the USMLE, the MD test. And I also tutor or have for a period of years tutoring medical students who are preparing for their board exams. And I, at this point, unless failure is a possibility, I strongly encourage everyone to take both tests because there's almost a 100% chance you as a DO student are going to be compared on paper to MD students. And the only objective marker that you can hold on to at this point, right now, it's just step two. Um, because a lot of MD programs, I mean, they don't know what to do with the complex. Like the complex is like a credit score. It goes up to like a thousand. Whereas the USMLE is, uh, I mean, I think 280 is a perfect score. 280, 280 something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a different test. And you really... I really wanted, and I think as a DO, you should really want to be able to put yourself down on paper in person against any peer and show that there's a reason you're being considered for a position and that you are the best potential candidate to obtain that. Do you, do you think that it's specialty dependent to take both tests? I do. And, you know, this always comes with the caveat that I don't think one specialty really is like more rewarding or more special or better than another because everything provides something different. But there are specialties where board scores are not very important because there are just tons of unmatched. There are not tons, but there are some unmatched positions at the end of every year. They don't fill other spots and these specialties can be less desirable for any number of reasons. But uh, there are specialties that are more competitive and less competitive. And so if you do decide to take only the complex, that's okay, especially for um, some specialties like, you know, internal medicine, family medicine, pediatrics. Those are just the first ones that come to mind where taking taking a the complex alone is probably going to do fine for you. And that's also because a lot of there were enough historically DO programs or enough historically DO attendings and now program directors in those specialties. So if you get into the derm world, plastic surgery world, ophthalmology, there weren't a lot of DOs going into those specialties because the MD programs didn't take DOs, almost never. So there aren't a lot of program directors in those positions or people on faculty who are DOs making decisions, looking at board scores and applications who can like look at a 950 complex score and be like, oh, that's really good. Or be like, or like, wow, that's amazing. Let's give this person an opportunity. There's just perhaps someone who's unfamiliar with that score saying, oh, that's a pretty high number. Like, don't know what to do with it, but it looks like a good number. Yeah, all they can go by is the number and the percentiles, but the percentiles are against you know other DO students, not the whole cohort. Right. So, yeah. So kind of, uh, I, I do want to kind of speak on what made you 
a good applicant for med school. This is kind of going back into your undergrad. We didn't cover this. And I just want to make sure that our pre-med listeners get this advice. What Mm -hmm. made you the best applicant for medical school, but also going into your med school career, what made you a good applicant for residency, especially a dermatology residency, other than board scores and grades? Well, the funny thing is, it's actually two, there probably is like one consistent thing there, but they're actually very different. (laughs) Like the two applications couldn't be more different (laughs) because yeah, going into medical school, like I've said a million times now, I I was a long shot. Like I had a decent MCAT score. My GPA was okay. I think it was like a 3.4, but what it did show though, is like a very clear trajectory in that like this person, this applicant was failing, did okay, has done very well over the last two years. And so you know, if anyone else is out there like struggling through school, that's something people take into consideration. They look at that and they say, oh yeah, what have you, what has this person done lately? He's done very well. And so that's something I think that they saw and were willing to take a chance on me. In addition to that, like I said, these objective markers are very important because it's fair that they don't know you as a person. There's no reason for them to like say, oh, this person deserves a spot when this other person doesn't because they've never met you. Right. And so- having something objective that they can look at, latch onto, get that interview. And then for me, I was hungry at that point. Like I've said, I I had a lot of motivation to do better, whether like personal family reasons. And so I I was very motivated and I think engaged in the interviews. And I think they saw something in me once they got past my objective markers, um, what they saw something in me as a person that they said, yeah, this person, he, he might do well. He, he might be able to thrive here. Um, and then the other side of that, the residency applications, that again was very different because I had objective markers working strongly in my favor at that point. I had very strong board scores. I had gone very far out of my way to do research. So it wasn't strong research, but it was it was some sort of publications. Um, and there really wasn't there really wasn't a weak spot on my application on paper. And then again, in person, I just tried to one, be myself. Like I want to be very just genuine. That's very important to me. Uh, and then, with that, you know, hope that there's something that connects me to the program that they can relate to. And I found that, you know, and that's why I ended up in North Carolina. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great advice. Just be yourself really. And be true to yourself. That's probably one of the best pieces of advice I had um, during my med school interviews that Mm -hmm. changed, you know, my first year into my second year of interview season. So Hmm. it was, yeah, it's big and I know it's very simple to say, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's hard to be yourself when you feel like you have to perform, but exactly, exactly. Still, but uh, all right. So I'm just kind of going along the lines of your residency application. We just want to, you know, we want the listeners, especially the medical students currently going through that ERAS, you know, anxiety right now. Uh, What Mm -hmm. was it like for you other than taking the USMLE and the Comlex? Did you, find the application process to residency harder as a DO student and other things are, are other things people want to know is just like how you chose your programs and yeah. you think about location factors. I know you have a family. Did you factor that in? Um, yeah, at the time I did. Let's see here. What did I have family? <laughs> no, I didn't have a, I didn't have children at the time I applied for residency. So it's just me and my wife and, you know, we okay. can go wherever, but I had done a lot of audition rotations. And so that's the rotation where you kind of go out, in, within the specialty you want to go into and basically see if that's a place or program you'd want to 
be at or fit in with. And so I had a list of places that I knew I did not want to go to and had a very short list of places that I knew I did want to go to. And even better yet, had a shorter list of places where I felt like I made a really good connection with the people there and the program directors. So I, the most important things on my list when I was picking a residency were geographic location and people. (laughs) And by that, I mean the people I would be working with. So I've always wanted to live in the South. I grew up in Colorado, but the, so they're just, I met some Southern people in high school and they were just the sweetest, nicest people I'd ever met in my life. So I was like, I have to go down there. And so I wanted to be in the South. I wanted to be there by the beach. And so I was fortunate enough to pick my place entirely based off of geographic location and personal preferences. But that's, I highly advise against that unless you're in an exceptional situation. <laughs> so what, what in general, though, I, I think the most important things are picking a place where you could see yourself being and living and building a life for three years to five years to however long, um, making sure you're realistic and are picking and ranking a place that you feel like would also pick and rank you highly. And then, you know, making sure you're putting yourself in a place, if you can, where you're going to have some sort of support system, whether you're taking someone with you or whether family is nearby, because, I mean, this is all super stressful and we, it's very important, I think, to build life and enjoy life and do life during your medical journey because this is this is your 20s and 30s like we we lose this to our profession we sacrifice this and i don't think people see that or care about that anymore but we do and so i strongly recommend that you just try to live life as much as possible during that whole journey and so picking a residency program where you could see yourself doing that is very important that's perfect advice and you know just to go back to the question in regards to being a deal applicant did you see that you were applying to more programs than your MD peers or anything like that? Uh, no, but that's again, I, again, I, I really felt like I had good relationships with different, pro- like a few programs. And so I applied to very few programs relative to most of my peers in general. I think, I do think that uh, I actually would venture to say that DOs probably do not apply to more programs than MD peers. And the reason is, I think that you people, if if you're a long shot to get into programs, you know you're a long shot. And that's regardless of your application status um, or your, your degree. And if you feel like you know where you want to go and you feel confident that's where you'll end up, I think, again, it's going to be based off of the relationships and interactions you've already had, whether you're a DO or an MD. So I don't, I don't, I would, I would be surprised, I guess, if DOs apply to a significantly higher portion of programs overall than their MD counterparts. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know those statistics, but that would be great to know really, because that's something <laughs> that I've never really heard of, but all right. But going, going into your CV, I did see that you did take a transitional year and, you know, most of our students that are going into dermatology and other uh, residencies or residency programs have to take this transitional year just kind of to explain this to pre-medical students, what is a transitional year and what was your experience like during a transitional year preparing for your dermatology residency? So dermatology residency through the DO or AOA boards used to be different in that every specialty in medicine, you match at the end of your fourth year and you may be required to do a year of general medicine before you jump into your subspecialty. However, for DOs, you had to forgo the match. Like, I mean, like you just say, oh, I'm not going to match anything except for that first year of general medicine. And for someone pursuing dermatology circa 2000 and what, 18, 17, that was how it was. And 
what ended up happening for a lot of people is they would forego the whole match, forego a subspecialty in the hopes of getting dermatology. And then they would do what's called a transitional year. Now, I have nothing against transitional years. I a great experience. I think they're fine. But for any prospective dermatologist at that time, what happened to a good portion of people is they would finish out the transitional year. And at that time, during that first year of residency, that's when you would officially apply to dermatology. But keep in mind, you've already burned all of your other bridges. And so a lot of people find themselves not matching anywhere. And so they would then be scrambling to do research programs, research years, just repeating transitional years because it doesn't burn up this clock that you have to finish residency. And so I've just seen so many people burning time and burning years because of how it was set up. But that's, that's why I did that. Again, not because that's just how it was set up at the time. Okay. So re- to reiterate, is that something that dermatology applicants have to go through now? That No, it's not. That's done. Thank God. Oh, okay. So that's, that's finished out maybe two or three years ago. And so less on what like a transitional year was for, what it really is, is just a first year into medicine in general. So like I said, everyone has, for the most part, most people have to do a year of general medicine before anything else or as a part of the residency. And so a transitional year is just a year where you're doing either like a internal medicine, family medicine, or even surgical focus for a year. Like I said, there's actually a clock as doctors, we have to finish residency within a certain time period, or we have to do it for free or without funding, which is a whole nother thing. But, uh, this does not count against your clock. So otherwise, this can be identical to something called uh, a prelim year, like a first year of internal medicine or first year of surgery, where you just do a year of non-specialty focused medicine before you transition into what your final specialty would be. Okay. So now I just want to kind of go into uh, your residency as well as your fellowship as well. Just on your experience as a DO resident, have you had any obstacles you know, compared to your MD counterparts, any sort of discrimination from patients or any sort of, I don't know, looks that you get from MD peers or anything like that? And also, do you use any osteopathic manipulation uh, so, during your practice? Yeah. Uh, so I have had some, <laughs> I have had some experiences, I guess, in route to becoming a dermatologist in that I remember I had a, I was a third year medical student, I think. And I had an attending, he was a dermatologist and he was like, you know, I I don't work with any DOs. I will not work with you. And, you know, I hunted him down over the next few days and asked him why. And to be honest, all of his reasons were actually in my mind valid. Uh, Like I kind of described about the initial way that DOs had had to enter the match. There were some discrepancies or some differences in their training historically, especially in dermatology. Uh, that really didn't compare well to the training that MDs had. And so I understood where he was coming from. But again, I think that's why we as DOs have to really work hard, not only to elevate ourselves and perform at a high level, but also to elevate the profession to make sure that we are holding up the title of doctor well and respectably. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think though. I also had an experience when I interviewed at an MD program for dermatology. It was somewhere I had auditioned and when I got to the interview, yeah. They were like, well, you're the first DO we've ever, ever interviewed here. And wow. he was basically like, how does this work? What do DOs do? Like how, what do I do with your complex? <laughs> like, oh, how wow. does this work with your transitional year? Like, will that be accredited? And I think it came down to, I mean, I'm sure there are better applicants as well, but one of the things I know that they were struggling with when they were considering me is like, this is, this is a headache. 
<laughs> I, I don't, because it used to be that, you know, not all DIA residency programs and training were accredited and recognized by the ACGME. So they're, they're, one of their thoughts was, you know, if we accepted this person into the dermatology, will his transition or prelim year even count? And then can he even enter a residency? So there were some like preconceived judgmental considerations, I think, when I've worked with different attendings, but they're few and far in between. But then there were also some realistic hard stops um, that I did have to kind of cross and work against when going into or pursuing dermatology. Does that go on now still if somebody wants to, from a DO school, apply to dermatology? Not nearly as much. It, I have seen more people match into M- historically MD dermatology programs as DOs in the last two years than I think I'd counted over the last 10 to 15, just having looked back at who's come from where. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, I think we've finally broken that barrier. And, and I know, I do know within dermatology, though, because like we both acknowledged, we don't have access to these large academic centers and huge research projects. Dermatology is a very academic focused specialty. And so I, I'm sure there is some uh, hesitation within the allopathic dermatology community to like consider our training equivalent, if only because we're not in huge tertiary academic centers. Now, I don't know if that's really justifiable or, and I would venture to say that it does not translate to any changes in actual practice. It just does make for a different residency experience. Definitely. Do you think after doing this fellowship, will you be going into academia or any sort of research? I know you said that you're kind of shying away from research and going more towards you know, using social media and YouTube as a platform, but do you plan on going into academia at all or anything? Uh, I do. And I don't. So when I, I do, what I do intend to pursue as like continuity within residency and even fellowship programs, like I'm, I've signed on here as an attending and faculty with our university and as a Mohs surgeon, I will continue to be involved with the fellowship teaching and also probably within our local medical school. I'd like to actually continue tutoring for the medical boards because I, I love teaching. I love general medicine. I don't want to lose that knowledge. So, Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in academia to some extent, but I don't envision myself doing any sort of meaningful clinical or lab-based research. Okay. And just to kind of end you know, the interview on some osteopathic notes, just want to ask a little bit more about, you know, the influence of being a DO on your work in dermatology. Does it, you know, affect the way you approach your patients? And do you incorporate any of the practice or philosophy into your specialty? So I'll answer the second question first, in that I do not incorporate any manipulative techniques into my practice. Now, it's not because I don't believe something like effleurage could be beneficial to someone with lymphedema or to someone with who's post-surgical who, who would benefit from like some lymphatic drainage after surgery. It's just unrealistic to perform those things within the current structure of dermatology as it's practiced. I think dermato- the manipulative skill set lends itself to other or certain specialties better than others. Uh, family medicine, of course, you're just wide open, do whatever you want. You can structure your practice models um, very well. Yeah, dermatology really being so visual or surgical doesn't lend to the, the manipulative side. But then you have the counter side to uh, osteopathic practice where you do have a lot of exposure to alternative complementary forms of medicine, uh, including manipulative medicine. And the benefit there is it makes me a lot more comfortable engaging in my patients because the vast majority of Americans at this point are looking toward alternative health sources, if not if not looking to them first before seeing a doctor. So 
I'm very comfortable kind of engaging them where they are. Um, I think being a DO, you are trained to be more personable and more uh, comfortable because of our manipulation, just like sitting next to people, talking to people before COVID, like touching them, you know? And I think that really goes a long way at making me and DOs a a better doctor in the room. Um, Yeah. Okay. And just, you know, end on a piece of advice that you would give current pre-medical students that are going into osteopathic school or even medical school that are listening and medical students today, what's something that you would kind of, you know, tell them? I would do it in a couple ways. One is just like, you know, know yourself. And even if you think it's a, a long shot, I think just apply yourself and get there. Like my own life is just its own testimony in that unrealistic things can happen. And so for a lot of people who are out there hoping or maybe considering or not even considering, because I think it's impossible, like it can be done. It's been done. You can do it. And I like more than anything, I want to encourage people and instill belief in people that they can do extraordinary things. And so people listening to this are no exception. And also I would encourage people uh, with wherever they are in this long journey of medicine to enjoy the journey of medicine because it is so long and you're going to, we all have such a short window here on earth, unfortunately, and some shorter than we even ever realized. But if you don't explore and like enjoy life and enjoy the hard challenges moments and the emotional moments during medicine, you're going to really, I think, regret and miss out on some of the most rewarding years of your life. If you just tr- are trying to push through and you're, you're going to burn out if you're just literally trying to push through and get to the end. That is perfect advice. Thank you, Dr. Maxfield, for, you know, taking the time out of your schedule to, you know, talk to us and, you know, talk to pre-med students and medical students all around the States. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Amir. Thank you so much for having me and uh, reaching out. I just uh, greatly appreciate your time as well. Thank you. And, you know, I do want to tell the listeners to, you know, follow you at dr. LJ Maxfield on TikTok as well as Instagram. And if you haven't already, please follow us on DO or Do Not Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, as well as Twitter. And everybody have a good day. Perfect. Thank you. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at Do or Do Not Podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up, and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to Do or Do Not.